Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the Santiago ABB FIA Formula E Championship round and a dramatic WRC opening Monte Carlo rally. The third round of the ABB FIA Formula E Championship in Santiago, Chile, produced another dramatic race. Incidents and accidents are plenty, a stern test of the Gen 2 battery at high temperatures, and a great victory for Virgin Sam Bird. I'm your host, Ed Straw. Later on in the podcast, we'll hear from the World Rally Championship Open at the Monte Carlo Rally. But let's first head to Chile. Joining me first from Santiago is Autosports Formula E correspondent Alex Kalanorkas. Sounds like it's been anything but Chile there, though. Hello Ed, no, it's been absolutely boiling. Um, we, we got over 100 degrees Fahrenheit on race day. Jay Pigs are in the race just over that, so about 37.9 degrees. It makes it, it makes it, uh, uh, Formula E's hottest ever race. The previous record was 35 degrees. So, um, yeah, absolutely sweltering. And it wasn't, I mean, fortunately it wasn't humid to add on top of that. Uh, it was just, it was just dry heat. So as soon as you got out of it, you were sort of more or less fine. But yeah, very, very hot. <laughs> 
Excellent. Also joining me is Andrew Vanderberg. Now, you're a real Formula E veteran. So where does Santiago stand among your favourite places to go? Oh, it's, uh, it's definitely in the top five, I think. It's got a very nice sort of r- relaxed vibe here. Um, and obviously, uh, you get great food and drink. Um, but I would say 37 or nudging 38 degrees is a little bit too hot for me in my translucent white skin. <laughs> but South America is always a, always a decent place to go. Uh, well, let's let's crack on with it, Alex. This is Sandberg's eighth Formula E victory. He's the only driver so far to win a race in all five seasons of the championship. It was a hard-fought one too. Fought his way through from I think he was fourth on the first lap. So can you take us through how he did it? Yeah, so he got in amongst it in the early stages and followed early race leader Sebastian Buemi, who led for sort of the first two thirds of the race. Uh, worked his way up, used his attack modes uh, very well. Buemi went quite early with his attack mode, and Bird was that little bit later. Then, as soon, uh, unfortunately, Buemi had uh, had a crash. He crashed heavily at, at Turn 7 in FP1, and it was a, a similar incident in the race. Uh, we're going to get onto this later, but there was some quite considerable trap breaking up all around the the, the, the tarmac that had been laid around sort of two-thirds of the track. Um, all that meant was that Bird, Bird obviously inherited the lead, but he had to defend massively from the incredibly impressive Pascal Verlein. He started second, but had uh, fought his way past in the early stages. And that it was it was close between them for the whole race. Uh, what Bird did, I spoke to the team afterwards, was there basically because it was so hot. Everyone was managing battery temperatures. They knew it was going to be critical. There was a a, a threshold of seventy two degrees. That if the battery hit that threshold, that was it. That was game over. You would be losing ten twenty seconds a lap very quickly. And over the course of two or three laps, it would just go to go to zero, and that's it. Your race done. And we saw that happening up and down the grid in the closing stages as it, as things played out. That didn't happen to to Bird. They were very close. Um, but what happened was that Verline, despite being all over Bird, he used the attack attack mode very well. Strategy. He drove a brilliant race. He was sort of called off a little bit by the Mahindra team. Uh, and uh, eventually he was like, right, temperature's critical, back off. That gave Bird the breathing space. And their tactic, the Virgin tactic, was was make it a linear race. Just control the temperatures steadily, drive as sensibly as possible. Because if you went on attack, you heated up the battery. And that's what Bird did. So he was able to back off himself in the closing stages, but not like out of necessity, just because he could. And he went on to take um, take on a brilliant win. Was briefly placed in peril by the message flashing up in part Fermo saying he was being investigated for being underweight. Now you think that's a slam dunk penalty, uh, but it was uh, immediately uh, called as no further action. So he keeps his win. Uh, he's now in the tight in this in the standings lead as well because previous leader Jerome D'Ambrosio was one of many many drivers to get a post race penalty. So Bird now leads it and. Audi, the Virgin, the Audi customer team head both championships. So brilliant job by them. It was interesting to see how the attack mode influenced the race. Effectively, this was the the pass for the lead, but it's in second place at the time because Bird ran his attack mode first and used that to jump Verline, and then Verline deployed his first attack mode after, but wasn't able to to reclaim the position. So that that seems to be an interesting reflection. It's probably the most significant impact perhaps attack mode has had on the the race for victory. You could say absolutely because Bird was able to capitalise on 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 Verline opting to do what what has been the sort of more traditional traditional approach, probably the wrong, wrong word there for a concept that's only three races old. But it seemed everyone was sort of taking it later and later in the race. But you saw Buemi go very, very early because he'd got enough of a gap. He was able to nip into the attack mode zone, uh, get it and shoot off. And uh, then Virgin followed the similar thing. I think I think perhaps the, the tactic was right. Well, we've got our battery temperatures under control. Let's use this sort of sensibly. So it may have been a reflection on that. But it was certainly a crucial move. And then when Verline, uh, you know, went, went into the higher power mode and was on the attack later on when it was the temperatures at their hottest, that's ultimately what cost him. But it's a, a great weekend from, uh, from Verline, uh, Andrew. 
obviously his Formula 1 refugee it's only his second Formula E race of course he missed the season opener because he was still under contract to his uh, previous employer Mercedes and he reckoned he could have won it had things panned out differently but he's, he certainly seems to have come to terms with Formula E really really quickly well you say it was the second race we didn't didn't do very many laps in the first one so really it was the the, the first opportunity for him to show what he could do in a car um, he looked pretty impressive Right from the word go, I mean, he, he was uh, attacking the track, which, um, you know, Alex and I were, were talking about. It's one of the better Formula E track layouts. It was nice and wide, a really challenging mix of corners, you know, and unusually for a Formula E street track, where well, it wasn't really a street track, it was the perimeter roads in a park, had some flowing corners, which you don't normally get. Obviously, you normally get a load of left and right angles. But uh, he, he took to the track um, instantly and always looked competitive, did a brilliant job in qualifying um, to get it into Super Pole, and then I've just missed out on getting pole position. And, and like uh, Alex said, he was right in the hunt for the win right to the end when the team told him, look, you've got a massive gap to third place, which was um, Alex Sims before he got his post-race penalty. Just back it off. Keep those battery temperatures under control. I think it's interesting to note how formerly is progressed in terms of its professionalism. The previous hottest race was Putrajaya in, in season two. And that race, we had a whole host of cars stop on track as the batteries reached their critical temperature and they had to be reset and they carry on going. And we had Robin Frines coming third, crabbing along on a, on a car with effectively three wheels. Now all of the teams are so much better prepared, run to so much higher standard that they were able to manage those temperatures and we didn't really see any of the cars um, sort of stopping on track. They just sort of backed off towards the end and made sure they, they brought it home without a problem. Mm. Worth also just uh, paying credit to McLaren for the, the McLaren Fire Technologies for the job yeah. done with the batteries because not only have they massively increased the temperature threshold from it was about 55 degrees and now as I said 72 the battery is also doing twice the length that the previous batteries only had to do half the race so they doubled the capability and higher speeds and made it and made it better overall so you know well done to them well we should say Alex although this is talked about as a a problem it's quite easy to to uh, to get a bit out of proportion in terms of uh in terms of the circumstance obviously this was very very extreme conditions for the batteries and even though a few drivers had to back off I think I noticed Lotter's lap times dropped off a fair bit in the last couple of laps I assume that was for that for that rather than some other problem you may be able to correct me on that but you have to take this as a positive for the technology rather than oh there's a there's a temperature control problem because th- this was extreme conditions wasn't it completely and I think yeah, having because I uh, I wrote a piece for autosport.com sort of explaining that, uh, you know every, why this was going to be such an issue at this race and to do that I went back through the, 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 the race temperatures for every single Formula E race and we've got nowhere near it a future dryer is, 30, is 35 degrees but the, the ones below that are sort of 33, 30 so you've got to say it's unlikely we'll see this extreme heat again you can never rule it out of course you know New York City at the end of the year Hong Kong they're all capable of getting into 40 degree uh, degree heat I'm sure but it's, it's very unlikely we're going to see this again so well, I thought that's, that's the irony though of, of Formula E is because it's, you know, going on a sort of, uh, sustainable propaganda messaging again or whatever, but we're seeing these extreme temperatures, you know, places are literally melting in Australia at the moment. And these freak weather occurrences are a direct result of global warming, which is obviously a consequence of uh, fossil fuel being burnt in transportation. So it all sort of plays into to what Formula E is trying to do. But uh, we were trying to work out if this was the hottest day in recorded history in Santiago I think it certainly is for the day of the uh, of the year it was on um, and you're right we, we may not experience those temperatures again yeah it's unseasonally hot here uh, and also what, what's worth saying is as you said Ed like it's not like all all the cars stopped on this that would have been a disaster for Formula E they you know the vast majority made it to the end of the race and all the guys that, that didn't finish 
most of them were because of uh, the contact and, uh, and either hitting the, hitting the barriers or going off on the, on the, the tarmac from the trap breaking up or just hitting each other. There were an extraordinary amount of incidents. Um, you know, it wasn't the highest quality of race, I thought. Uh, yes, yeah, so I thought some of the driving was quite amateurish and, and quite dirty occasionally. Mm. And just quickly on Lotterer, he suspected in the immediate aftermath of the race that he, he had a hot inverter, which sounds like painful actually. And, um, but, uh, but the, the, the team, the team weren't 100% sure on that, but that's what he thought rather than it being the battery. But again, he did lose quite a lot of time towards the end of the race. Okay. Temperature related, but different, different part. Well, you mentioned the trap breaking up, uh, Andrew. So is this just purely down to temperature combined with the stress the cars were, were putting on it? And how, how bad was the problem? Because watching on TV, you could see it was you could see it was pretty bad. I mean, at first it looked a little bit like it was just uh, just tyre marbles, that kind yeah. of thing. Remember a bit like we had in Formula One in the early Pirelli years, places like Malaysia, where just offline was was covered. But it does seem the track surface was being was being torn up. Yeah, I mean, obviously we, we will never know how it would have uh, survived had it been normal temperatures. Um, but certainly the the surface was laid months ago, so it wasn't like it was something that had just gone down that wasn't affixed properly. You know, we've seen this countless times in various Champ Car Street races in the past. You know, this this um, asphalt had settled and whatever, um, and I I suspect it's probably due to the extreme heat, but we we can't know for sure. But it was really bad. Basically, anywhere where there was any form of lateral G being put down by the car, the the racing line was being chunked up. We walked back over a bit of the track, and it was probably a centimetre, maybe more deep, the, the groove that had just been churned out. And obviously, all the loose bits of tarmac that had come up from that had just been thrown over. And, and these are serious bits, like size of um, sort of gaming dice, and they're just everywhere. And obviously, when Buemi, he made a small mistake and went offline, but once you're onto those marbles, there's there's no control in the car. You know, the tyre's not going to be touching the, the race surface. So... Um, Something they definitely, definitely need to look into for next season because it's very, very almost 100% certain that we'll be back here again. Um, but they have to look at that track surface because if it does that under normal temperatures, then it would be a, a serious problem for them. Yeah, it was amazing. It looked like the cars had carved their way through the tarmac. It was, it, they physically changed that much, really strange. Um, just to point out on Bowemi, he, he has said that there was a software problem that contributed to that crash. He did lock up uh, in the first instance, but we have to sort of take him at his word there. And the same he said was true of the, uh, of the FP1 incident. He was also under a lot of pressure from Bird. Bird was was all over him, wasn't he? We should actually add that Sam Bird on the slowdown lap when he was interviewed interviewed in the TV coverage mentioned that he had his own moment and almost ended up in the wall. I think he said at turn twelve. So it was it was one of those really on the edge races where just about anyone could be uh, could find themselves in the wall with a, with a tiny moment of inattention. Indeed, and it, and it was what a great track. Even in qualifying, the cars were, were really on the edge, particularly coming into that turn as well. They were really fighting the oversteer and and, and and then clipping almost clipping the barrier on the exit. So it was a it was a very tricky race. We saw Oliver Rowland uh, had a similar incident. That's why he ended up in in the barriers, getting on getting on that tarmac because he was going around Lotterer. Uh, Van Dorn, yeah, Van Dorn as well. Yes, you know these these are these are good quality drivers just being caught out here. Uh, mentioning uh, Oliver Rowland, I quite enjoyed his moment with Felipe Massa, <laughs> which uh, I think Felipe didn't enjoy a great deal. Indeed, actually, uh, Felipe, and I spoke to him afterwards, was more annoyed at Maxi Gunther because there was there was there was he, they'd all been fighting the three of them, and he said uh, it was Gunther that sort of moving across on him that forced him wide. Anyway, Roland was completely when I spoke to him, he was like, "Yeah, I don't know what he I've got, he, he can have no complaints from me. My car was just there 
where did, where did he think I was going to go? You know, um, it, it didn't look like Roland shoved him in the wall because he was so far ahead. You've got to say Massa should have backed out of that, but Massa was sort of just annoyed generally at, the, at what had happened there, and that that was indeed uh, what what caused him to retire. But it was uh, it was a combination of all the factors rather than just Roland being at fault there. I think. Yeah, I wonder if Very the, the physicality of uh, Formula E racing and that sort of wheel to wheel bumping thing has caught Massa a little bit by surprise because it, it'd be a long time since he's had that in a Formula One race. Yeah, very much so. And that, that part of the track got very congested uh, repeatedly. It's certainly uh, a recipe for uh, for some, some contact. Now, Alex, we talked in previous podcasts about the works Audi team struggles. Lucas Degrassi seemed to have steadied the ship. He took pole position, but he was then put to the back. Uh, he described it as the most stupid rule motorsport has ever created that he fell victim of. Now, it's something to do with the brake use on the slowdown lap. So can you explain what exactly he did wrong? It's... It- at this stage, it's still very <laughs> unclear what that rule actually is. We've asked for clarification because it's not been publicly published anywhere. No, no one seems to want to, to give, give out this information. The people have been very cagey about this, which makes me suspect that there, that perhaps there is some, something untoward going on. But that could be me just being put two and two together there. So the rule is that you have to, you have to break on your, on your in-lap in exactly the same way as you did on your push-lap. Now, Degrassi set a mighty lap. It was, it was truly impressive. Yeah. The gap he had, it was, it was over half a second. It was truly spectacular. And you thought, well, there we go. So you've got Audi back. Did they ever go away? Who knew? Who knows? Um, he was going to run away from pole and win another race. But yeah, but he got thrown out because his exact explanation is that the, the, the rule is taken on brake pressure. So he said that he actually had less energy, energy in, in terms of, you know, a deciding factor than on his push lap, but the pressure, was different. So that he got pinged. It's a black and white rule. It's, it's an amendment come in at the request of Spark, the supplier. That's what the FIA say. The team say it's an FIA decision. Uh, it's related to safety grounds. We did see an incident with Tom Dillman in Marrakesh coming back from his uh, uh, qualifying lap where he went into the back of Robin Frimes and then hit into Sam Bird. There's a whole, there's a whole mix of things going on here. And it's, it's very unclear. And it's not good for Formula E. You know, it's, 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 it, it, is a, it is a stupid rule on the face of it. Why, why, why should they have to break in the same way on their slowdown laps? If they're trying to do something with tyre pressures for cars going to Super Bowl or keeping your brakes hot, okay, that's, that's fine. But, but explain that. People don't like, you know, if, if, you, if you were to have watched that qualifying session and gone, wow, the grassy, that was impressive. Then you come four hours later for the race and like, why is he last? It's the old motorsport problem. It's 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 just confusing people. And yeah, exactly, I mean, with the, formally, it's supposed to be taking motorsport to a new generation of people. If three motorsport experts can't understand what the rule actually is, how the hell is someone who may just have caught it on the BBC red button for the first time and say, like, "Oh, I like, I like electric cars. I'll watch this." It's a massive turnoff for it, and it, and. I don't know. I, I, cause you, you know, it's things you're not allowed to say now because it's a, it's an amendment that was made on the grounds of safety. Therefore, absolutely, it's untouchable. Yeah. The rule cannot be questioned. I mean, I don't know. If professional racing drivers are un- unable to control the braking of their car, what next? You know, regulate the speed at which they're allowed to go around the track? I think it's absolute nonsense. You know, if it has been brought in, in on safety grounds, then you've got to say, okay, yeah, that's one thing. We, we always want this sport to be as safe as we possibly can. But it needs to be explained. We don't, we're sitting here not understanding what it is. And you've got Degrassi calling it the most stupid rule in motorsport, which he said on the grid. He sort of climbed down a little bit when I spoke to him afterwards. But he's still furious. And well, that's the, pro- the thing, though, is... 21 other drivers were able to do it. Oh, and then there, was, then there was one guy that didn't. That doesn't mean that the rule is fair and, and you know, not a daft one. But there were uh, 21 drivers who were able to drive within it, including his teammate. Well, we can at least infer from that that 
at least it's a rule that's possible to adhere to. It's not not like you have to. I presume there's a there's a band of of error, there's an error bar in which you have to use the same pressure, but it's not precise or anything. It's not trying to catch people out. But yeah, you, it sounds to me like that they do need to explain in a bit more detail exactly what this is what this is for. Um, let's move on to the team I like to call technical cheater, uh, Andrew. Obviously, last year. Andre Lotterer rear-ended John Eric Vernis teammate, got away with it. This year, things didn't work out quite so well. So what was the, the fallout from that? And what do we make of overall what's been a slightly disappointing start to the to the season with what's happened in the last couple of uh, events for that team? Yeah, I think they may live to regret the number of points that they've sort of thrown away this early in the season when they've had a, a car, certainly in the first two races, that was clearly quicker than the rest. They didn't ever appear to demonstrate that level of performance here, although I'm not sure that we ever really saw their true performance. Um, the way Formula E has changed the qualifying system this year has effectively made it impossible if you're in the group that's leading the championship to qualify and pole, because they always the first ones to get on track. And just by their very nature, the, the track improves to such a degree that if you're in a later group, you'll almost certainly be quicker no matter what your car performance differences um, and that means they're going to be starting in the midfield when they're at the front of the champ and then of course that's where all the action inevitably happens and that's what we saw here when Lotteran nerfed the back of De Costa who went into the back of Jev and spun him around and that effectively ruined Jev's race and then uh, Lotteran had that inverter heat issue towards the end of the race and overtaking here was tricky if you you know didn't have a significant performance advantage through attack mode if it were just on the same power mode as uh, everyone else you had to sort of get your elbows out and obviously that's not necessarily that easy especially if you're nursing a slightly damaged car from uh, an earlier incident so <clears throat> I don't doubt that the car has still got a, an enormous amount of latent performance in it but I think throwing away all of these points is really going to come back to bite them later on especially when you're handing points to people like uh, Mahindra and, uh, and Virgin who you know they're good solid race outfits and generally tend to capitalize when the opportunity comes their way so yeah not a, not a good weekend for them at all and uh, they really need to step their game up in Mexico in a couple of weeks mm. and I think this this group one qualifying thing is going to it's going to start to get louder as the season goes on and we get into a title fight because um Vern was very vocal in 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 the pen uh, Amiki Penn afterwards saying, you know, how, how can we justify this? All the manufacturers are spending so much money. What return are they getting if, if we qualify, qualify down in the pack? And uh, that's a valid point, but it's the rules and it's, it's entertainment as well. Yeah, and it's, and it's making it's it much more fun and entertaining really is, to yeah. watch. Yeah. And it's the same for all of them. That's why they can't complain. It's not like if they do qualify in midfield and have a poor race, well, they drop down to group two for the next one. So you nail it and you move back up. It's, it's a bit like the, uh, doing the dance of, uh, success ballast in the BTCC where, you know, one race you've got loads of it. So you have a bad race and it comes off and then you start winning again. You know, it's, uh, it's going to be a little bit like that, but it's going to randomize the grid in a, in an interesting way, I think, and make the race, racing better. Mm. I also don't think this race taught us anything about the pecking order. I still no. think the DS is out front. Uh, with BMW and uh, you know Audi Virgin right in the mix as well, um, but it was interesting that the, the cars that did move forward through the order, Alexander Sims, uh, Lotterer was up there. You know he got he got you know into the fight for the top five. So there's there's clearly pace in both those cars. And I should ask you, Alex. Obviously, Neo is still flying. Yeah. Yep. I thought that might. Oh, go you beat me to it, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, they look strong in uh, in testing, but uh, testing is testing. Racing I just, is racing, I just like to point out. I, I like to read. I'd like to read the prepared statement that I thought about this morning as I was getting ready. <laughs> I never declared them as favourites. I merely presented the data and suggested they were fastest, but. Yeah, all subsequent data has proven them to be anything other than that. <laughs> they were, they're, they're, they're not in a great place. I mean, that, that car, 
is just slow. It doesn't look particularly easy to drive and there doesn't appear to be a great deal of latent pace in there. I mean, fair play to Turvey bagging a couple of points there. And I think that's a sort of classic Turvey drive under the radar just to, to get some points on the board. But there's a, a lot of hard work for those guys ahead. Uh, well, I know, I think, uh, well, I know you've, uh, you've both got to head off and, uh, and catch a flight. So we should probably wrap it up there unless there's anything, any other business anybody urgently wants to raise. It's, uh, just, one of those well, eventful uh, What about the championship leader? What happened to him? He was nowhere. His teammate was second and he was, uh, talking about Jerome D'Ambrosio here who had a, a unbelievably underwhelming weekend. And okay, he was in the wrong qualifying group, but he was at the back of the pack and, didn't really make an enormous amount of progress, did he, Alex? No, no, not at all. And even in, in, even in Group 1, it was Vern who was the dominant driver there. He, he absolutely nailed his lap to win the sort of pole position, if you were, of that group. Uh, D'Ambrosio started at the back of the grid. It was a, it was a real struggle for him, and he, and he didn't seem to make much progress at all. Um, at Verline, he, uh, hats off to him. He's, he's really come, come in and been really, really impressive. He thought he could have been in, in amongst it in Marrakesh, the race that, that, uh, that D'Ambrosio did win. Um, just very quickly, another thing I'd just like to point out about Alexander Sims, finished third on the road, but was given a post-race penalty uh, for an incident with Eduardo Mortara, the Venturi driver. Now, they were fighting very closely as they came through the chicane. Uh, Mortara spun around. It looked as if uh, Sims just tapped him from, from, from behind, and that's what caused it. Sims is absolutely adamant that he didn't touch him, and it was just uh, it was just an incident. He was like, I, I didn't do it. I, you know, that, that's, that's 100% my feeling. Uh, BMW actually protested. They went to the stewards, said, this is our, this is our evidence. This is what, 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 what our car says. Stewards printed another evidence, uh, and then the protest was withdrawn. And unfortunately, that dropped Sims down right down to seventh place. But again, another, another person I think should get some credit. Unfortunately, he's been involved in, in, in the incident in Marrakesh with the Costa, but he's, he's been, you know, only three races into his Formula E career, and he's, he's been in the podium hunt for both. Uh, for two out of those three times so yeah and our final Venturi had a much much more competitive weekend Uh, Mortara finishing fourth but you know they were both quite strong in qualifying they've had terrible reliability problems but they got the car to the end with that issue and I think they they appear to have made a step so you know it's good for them and maybe that will help HWA who who are really having a bit of a hard time in their first season in Formula E at the moment yeah, still no points for HWA. It's it's, it's very tricky. Uh, but they did they achieved uh, at least achieved their primary aim of one driver, which was to get to the finish of the race. So Gary Papert did manage to get to the finish there. Well, that's your primary aim. Three races in, that tells you you're in a bit of a a bit of a battle. But uh, yeah, um, and I suppose that put Danny Lapped up to third. So at least gave the the factory Audi team uh, something to get a little bit more excited about. It's uh, difficult to keep track of all these post race changes. I've I've written down about five <laughs> different versions of the results. Yeah, having first attempts to do it at the end. Yes, it was very confusing because I was trying to write my autosport.com race report. I was having to pause every five minutes or something else and you flashed up on the screen and just suddenly changing it. But, uh, but yeah, De- Degrassi, another one who got a penalty. That dropped him, that dropped him out of the points. Right, i got to check out. <laughs> yep, uh, we've got to leave our very nice hotel here in Santiago and uh, yeah, see you in, in the office back in uh, what is no doubt freezing London, Ed. Well, thanks for your time. Uh, I'm going to enjoy the weather and good luck with your dash to the airport. Cheers. Thank you, Bye. bye-bye. Now let's make the short jump a mere Less than a half thousand odd kilometres from Chile to the south of France for the Monte Carlo Rally. Sebastian Auger and Julian Ingracia won on their return to Citroen, and I'm joined by our rallies editor, David Evans. Now, David, it all came down to the final power stage with Sebastian Auger leading by just 0.4 seconds over Thierry Neuville. Despite the throttle problem, Auger was 1.8 seconds faster than Neuville on that stage and won by 2.2 seconds. So, how exactly did Auger take his record equaling seventh win on this event? Quite simply, Ed, he, he did it by being Sebastian Ogier. Uh, he, I mean, he was kept honest all the way through by Thierry Neville, as you said. It was a very, very slender margin in the end that he won by. Um, but, you know, Ogier, we know 
he lives and breathes this this Monte Carlo rally. You know, he lives a couple of kilometers away from Gap, where the service park is. This is his favorite event of the season. Uh, and winning here means more than winning anywhere else. We saw that again this time. You know, he, he's able to dig deeper uh, and find a little bit more speed than, than perhaps anybody else on these roads. And he's been born and brought up on these roads. You know, he knows these French Alps, uh, like the, not like the back of his hand, um, but not far off. Citroen's had some patchy seasons recently, but the moment it gets an Auger back, suddenly it's back to winning. So is this all the Auger effect? It's it, certainly it's part of the Auger effect. You you could definitely say that. But equally, you know, you should look back to, to last year. Um, and the final day of Monty last year, Chris Meek was quickest by, I think, 2.8 seconds on the power stage. Um, in similar conditions, we know that this C3 WRC works in dry, consistent tarmac. Uh, and that's... That's really what we had all day today, um, and certainly in the power stage, it, it suited those roads suited the, the Citroen. Uh, but still, as you mentioned, um, you know he had the throttle problem, which was which was pretty significant. Uh, every time he was coming off the throttle, the uh, the throttle was still giving him twenty percent um, gas essentially. So he had to get out. He had to adjust the throttle pedal um, between the stages, so it retarded to sort of ten percent. So he kind of halved the problem. But essentially, you know, the guy was was hammering it into a corner and 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 driving with the choke out. You know, quite how many of our listeners will uh, will comprehend what that means, Ed? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you will, even if you ever had a, a car with a choke. But that's that was what was happening. And and like Ogier said, you go into these corners absolutely on the limit. You leave your braking as late as possible. And on say one in four or five corners, he had no idea when he came off the throttle and jumped on the brakes what was going to happen. Would would the car be pushing itself on? Uh, it was it was uh, a, a difficult difficult day for him, uh, and he's he's delivered brilliantly. How big a blow would you say this is for Hyundai, given Neville couldn't beat Auger despite the Citroen having this throttle problem? It is a blow for Hyundai. Um, you know, I think today, as I said, today really favoured the Citroen probably. But if if Hyundai known more about the throttle problem, you know, we, we didn't really know until the sort of midway through the today's final loop. Maybe they could have found a bit more, but in fairness, I doubt it. You know, I think Neville's on the door handles anyway. You know, he'd given it everything. This traditionally, this is an event which has favoured Thierry. You know, he's a Belgian. He's he's grown up on slippery tarmac. He traditionally does well here, but at the same time, none of the drivers in the past have really gone that well here. Um, so I, I, it, it was not ideal and Neville really wanted this win but equally he's landed second he's got big points um, and of course it's not such a big blow because Hyundai does, does lead the, the manufacturers championship uh, and that you know some of the much much of the credit some of the credit has to go to uh, to Sebastian Loeb for, for his fourth place which has brought more points uh, and helped them uh, go to the top of the table after round one. There was also an epic battle for third place with Toyota's Oitanak recovering from earlier problems to beat Sebastian Loeb and Yari Matti Latvala to third. Lots of fastest stage times in there for him. How ominous is that for Tanak's title chances? Toyota was incredibly strong here. You know, I think we can we can talk a lot about what um, about what Ogier did, which was fantastic, and, and Neville's result and, and, and all of that. And it was all great. But if you isolate the weekend, um, the Toyota was quickest on every stage except for one through Saturday and Sunday. Once the conditions 
came to the car a little bit and there was less snow and ice and less inconsistencies that Yaris flew again uh, and, and it is for me you know this the, the Toyota remains the biggest threat um, and I, I would say that Tana, I said to Neville at the end of the event you know I said okay you've lost this rally to, to Sebastian Ogier but is it still Toyota is it still Tanak that you look to as the biggest threat and he said absolutely he said we have to do something he said Tanak is dangerous and the speed of that Toyota is very dangerous uh, and yeah so they absolutely they're, for me Toyota is still the favourite Chris Meek won the power stage and picked up a solid sixth after delays earlier in the event so how's he settled in at Toyota yeah Meek as, as, as you say he won the power stage and he didn't just win it you know he he, he absolutely hammered everybody um, with, with an incredible time we very very rarely see power stages won by that sort of 3.9 second margin but that was huge um, and Chris said it was the it was the perfect stage you know there was not a wheel wrong uh, and even by the time they got back down the road to, to Monte which is probably you know a 40 45 minute drive or something out of the mountains Sebastian uh, Seb Marshall his co-driver jumped out of the car and was absolutely buzzing um, and, and was still shaking a little bit you know that was a huge effort uh, and it was perfect delivery it was it was an absolutely superb drive uh, from from the boys and you know he has absolutely settled into that car uh, very quickly and immediately feels very comfortable with the car very comfortable with the team uh, it's all working well but like Chris said you know he's back to he's back to square one in Sweden uh, he hasn't done any testing really in in the snow yet so he's got a lot of work to do this week um, but the signs are all incredibly positive for him coming back you know Chris was a different character here he was so relaxed and it, he, he just looked like a guy who'd who'd settled down and come with a different approach you know he didn't have the worries of the world on his shoulders he just jumped in the car and got on with it and you know talk, talking to Tommy Mackinnon at the at the finish there he was Tommy was over the moon with what Chris has achieved he's uh, he's he's delighted with him and in his words he was absolutely brilliant coming back to Ajay's victory he's now tied with Sebastian Loeb on seven Monte Carlo victories an amazing number this must mean a lot to him given he's from the area is he now the greatest of them all on the Monte I think it's a lot you know can you really say is Ajay the greatest of them all we've had guys Valterol Tommy Mackinnon these these people have, have have had some serious numbers of wins uh, on the Monte as well, but I can't really imagine another driver that um, that that this rally means as much to them. And you you only have to 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 be around the event um, on on Saturday. The the stages went through Forest Saint Julien, which is where where Sebastian's from. Where he was born and brought up in this really small village, this little hamlet uh, just off the route Napoleon. Uh, in the middle of the mountains um, and the whole village turns out to to wave him through and the atmosphere in there is just unbelievable it's absolutely fantastic and uh, the, the drivers always stop and change their tyres do fronts for rears or whatever between the stages uh, and Ogier stopped outside his neighbour's old house uh, and you know there was time to say hello to his to his next door neighbour and the, the, the kind of human element for for him on this rally is is astonishing and he's he's from these parts and he remains very much a man uh, of, of of the people if you like and to see you know his old friends his family all of them coming out it's 
absolutely tremendous uh, and it really is one of the the absolute highlights of, of these events being based in Gap uh, obviously there's a lot of talk this year that perhaps we needed more Monte Carlo in the Monte Carlo because there was no ceremonial start um, in Casino Square on Thursday night the start was out of Gap uh, and I would really kind of agree with that you know we do we arrived in in Monaco um, late last night, it was dark when the cars came into into the harbour, uh, and then it was you know ten past six, so it's before dawn when they went out this morning. So, you know, there, there's been very little of, of Monte Carlo in this one, uh, and I do think that we need to bring it back. You know, we have some great stages in the in the Alp Maritime. We've got you know Col de Turini, Col de Braus. These are brilliant, brilliant roads, and there are more stages that we can bring. And it very much felt that we were missing. Uh, Monte Carlo this time um, so it's something that uh, Tommy Mackin and banging the drum long and loud logistically it makes the thing more complicated and perhaps it would take a little bit away from from Sebastian Ogier you know this, not having the ceremonial start in in Gap in virtually his hometown but f you know for the good of this event which is remains one of my absolute favorites and it's a brilliant brilliant rally but, you know, as Tommy said, we need to put the Monte Carlo back into Monte Carlo. Well, thanks very much, David Evans. Pleasure as always. Thank you, Ed. Well, please head to autosport.com for all the latest from Monte Carlo, from the Formula E, from the world of Formula One, and try our Plus subscriber area, where for a small fee you can read the world's best motorsport journalists on every aspect of the racing and rallying world. And if you pick up Autosport magazine out on Thursday, also available digitally, you'll be able to read David Evans' in-depth report from the Monte Carlo Rally and Alex Kalanorkas on everything that happened in Santiago Formula E. Please check out sister titles, F1 Racing magazine out monthly, motorsport.com and Motorsport News out every Wednesday. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Reach new career heights with University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. Flexible MBA and MS options. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired, fearless, unstoppable. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.